From the Charleston Council for International Visitors, I'm Noah Kubinek. This is Face of the Earth. Calcutta is the capital city of the state of Bengal and one of India's largest by economy and population. From a trade outpost to the epicenter of the revolutionary movement against crown rule, to a former capital suffering economic stagnation, Calcutta has seen incredible change in the past 350 years. Iftikhar Hassan is the founder of Calcutta Walks, a tourism company seeking to present the city and its people as authentically as possible and help improve life for Calcuttans along the way. In this interview, we discuss what makes this city so unique in India and how it might establish itself, both as a beautifully preserved historical jewel and a hub of creativity and entrepreneurial spirit. First of all, thank you so much for being willing to take the time to come on, talk to me a little bit mm-hmm. uh, today or this evening, I guess, for you, right? It's my pleasure entirely. What might be helpful for listeners, first of all, is to kind of get an idea of who you are and what you do. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Absolutely. So my name is Iftikhar Ehsan, and uh, <clears throat> I come from uh, a Rajasthani family. Uh, settled in in the city in the eastern city of Calcutta, and uh, we've been here since maybe uh, the last sixty or seventy years or so. And uh, our family has always been into the business of uh, uh, dyeing of clothes. So it is a special community of uh, Rajasthanis. We are called Rangres, and uh, all our lives we've dyed uh, pe- uh, people's clothes for a living. And I've obviously broken away from that ancient tradition. And uh, I'm in the business of uh, showing people the city of Calcutta through our walking tours and through our bed and breakfast, which is Calcutta Bangla. That's uh, in a nutshell about me. Okay. How long have you been doing this? Calcutta Walk started about uh, 13 years ago. And uh, I wanted to show people visiting the city uh show them the real flavor of the city and uh, when i had when every time my friends came down i would uh, i would hire a india tourism approved guide and you know take them around and and usually they would do a good job but uh, but they would restrict themselves to monuments and not to the regular street life and that bothered me i said you know the city of calcutta lives on its streets it lives amongst the people it doesn't it's not something that uh, that one can uh, experience through the monuments it has to be experienced on its streets and uh, that's why i said let me try and showcase uh, that as much as possible through the walking tours and the walking tours explore different themes they explore different neighborhoods they explore different uh, streets and buildings and all that so you grew up in calcutta is that right oh very much and so- absolutely it was it sounds like it was sort of a desire to to give a more authentic depiction of calcutta to to visitors so are most of your customers your clients for calcutta walks people from elsewhere either in india or from or international tourists so mostly when i started off it was almost entirely international tourists that were coming in and if i may so add uh, only white people kind of going on the walking tours but slowly Thankfully, there has been a greater uh, appreciation from Calcuttans, from Indians from different parts of India, Indians from different parts of the world, 
what we call NRIs or non-resident Indians. So their interest has uh, slowly increased. So what has happened is now more and more people from, it's, it's like a mixed bag of sorts and people have an appreciation for this kind of travel more and more going forward because uh, travel is uh, also becoming like there's so much content available online. There's so much uh, uh, things people can read about, so many things people can watch and learn. But there is no substitute for uh, a, a shared experience with someone who is a local resident of a place and who brings to the table the entire uh, experience of the place encompassed within that person, within the way the person talks, within the way the person kind of the food they eat, the, the way they live their lives. So we try to take people under that, uh, that skin of the city. And that's what uh, works for us, really. People really appreciate that. And that's why it's grown from just being foreign travelers to Indians, to Indians living outside uh, Calcutans now. We get a lot of people who are from the city and yet want to go on the walks to learn more about their own city. And that was not something that I'd experienced, say, 10, 12 years ago. It's a very recent phenomenon. What do you think the reason for that phenomenon is? Many, many reasons. One is, of course, the rise of, uh, of uh, social media and the way people now go to places and share things. So that has become like, a, like the, what we call influencers. So everyone with a social media account is a little bit of an influencer. So when they go and post uh, things about, you know, meeting, say, some, uh, some obscure hole-in-the-wall kind of a workshop which has been going around for like 150 years and, and little trinkets are carved out, out, out of hand over there. And people uh, then start kind of posting that and then someone else sees that and they will say, okay, we'd like to go on this also. How, how can we go there? And they're like, you know, just go on the walk and they will, they will take you to these places. So social media has helped in a big way. And what we've done is because I used I, I uh, write for the newspapers here, the local newspapers, once in a while. So I do put in as much as possible content about the city, about its different neighborhoods, about its history, and of course adding the element of the visitors and their backgrounds a little bit, so that you know the city readers are also excited about what they are reading, the content of the of the piece. You talked about breaking from. The family business. That's right. How was that when you made the decision? I'll tell you. You know, when when uh, when this whole clothes dyeing business was uh, in its traditional format, in, in its traditional format, it was all about uh, herbal dyes, and you know, you pluck fruits and flowers, and you make dyes out of that, and so there was a romance attached to that. You know, you'd be by a stream of water, and you would dye there, and. And that kind of thing uh, had completely died out by the time we came to Calcutta and set up factories. And there's a lot of pollution in those factories. There's, of course, some exploitation of labor there. So all of that kind of did not really work for me as, a, uh, as an individual because I would be very depressed every time I would visit that. So, so I was always kind of looking for something else to do, something that would not be so, uh, uh, you know, so like, I mean, there was also a time when I was uh, reading uh, about uh, Charles Dickens. So they wrote this novel called Hard Times, and it, it's all about the drudgery of in industrial existence and all that. So there was a time when I was reading that, and I was visiting the factory, and I was kind of drawing the parallels between 
19th century uh, England and its industrialization and and how that kind of trampled old ways of right. life and so that really had a huge impact on me and I said no I I will not be able to do this so I must look out for something else so of course my initially the family was like who's going to look after the business and but later as they realized that you know okay he seems to be on the right track he's making money he's getting his recognition so eventually everyone fell in line and now it's a it's a model that a lot of others have tried to uh, replicate and be inspired from in the city as well as the in some parts of the country but sounds like you were one of the first to approach towards the way you do when you started oh yes but today there are others there are many many more now when i started uh, let's say like if you look at trip advisor then trip advisor did not really have a category for tours in india and now they have categories for tours in each city so that has been the big transition that has taken place we uh, we when we started out uh, people were uh, we were almost uh, scoffed at you know that who's going to walk with you and pay you for it and uh walk through the you know the dirty streets and and actually you know uh, appreciate things and pay you for it so we said you know it's a it's about sharing your love of the city it's not so much about the mode of transport it's not so much about how you do it it's about just being authentically there as bare as possible without the trappings of a big air conditioned vehicle without the trappings of fancy clothes without all that just you uh, at best a camera and just going around uh, or trying to authentically make a connection with people and uh, it it really clicked it really clicked because the people appreciated that uh, much more than we had anticipated they would and we kept growing at a at a very fast pace till 2020 pandemic hit of course you're now in a position where you've you've given that opportunity to a number of other people right i mean at this point calcutta walks has quite a few employees so we have about uh, uh six of us leading to us but there's uh, another bunch of people at the calcutta bungalow who also uh, because of the nature of the bungalow and how the rooms are all themed around uh, different neighborhoods of the city so they also need to know something about the city to impart that to the visitors so all together we are like a team of close to 20 people now which is great i don't want to expand too much or become too big also i would assume that there are also plenty of sort of industrial scale tour companies in calcutta or at least a few so are you on the smaller side of uh no we don't have industrial scale tour companies in calcutta because calcutta is not really seen as a city known for its tourism really so we don't really have that but what we do have is we have transportation providers of course they are on on a big scale so people with a lot of buses people with a lot of cars and vehicles and things but that is irrelevant for us because what we are offering is a very niche requirement and a very niche offering and and you don't find a lot of people trying to go for that kind of a thing so we will stick to that formula of uh, having you know my theory always is that you know the the traveler version 1.0 will go to their familiar places within the country traveler version 2.0 is the one who who actually ventures out of their country but then goes to another country and goes to the famous places of those of those countries they are visiting and it takes a three times evolved traveler 
to actually come to India and then leave the Taj Mahal and leave Delhi and leave Jaipur and then come to Calcutta. So a thrice evolved traveler that comes to Calcutta is going to be a very small number, big enough for a small outfit like us to survive, but not big enough for us to become like a giant industrial sized tour company. Unfortunately, I've never had the chance to come to anywhere in India, must. including Calcutta. I would love to, but I haven't had the chance yet. And so to me, it's really interesting to hear that Calcutta is not really known for its tourism. And I mean, and of course, I, my knowledge is very, very limited, but it definitely seems like a place that has a huge amount of history, of culture. So it's just so surprising to hear that it's not, that it has not historically been recognized. So uh, I'll tell you what happened in, uh, under the British, towards the end of the British uh, occupation of India, they decided to shift the capital from Calcutta to Delhi. So for like 200 years before that, Calcutta was the capital and it was this beautiful city with uh, pavements and street lights and street furniture and big massive buildings built in the European style. So it had all the works of a big fancy city. But ever since the capital shifted, then Delhi became uh, much more prominent in the eyes of uh, the British initially, and then of course post independence for the rest of uh, the Indians' uh, uh, polity. And they started uh, seeing Calcutta as a dead city. In fact, one of our past prime ministers actually called Calcutta the dead city. So, so they, they stopped kind of uh, seeing this. And then we had the trade unionism and we had the world's longest democratically elected communist government for like 35 years. So the whole thing was that Calcutta became this really uh, back of beyond for uh, uh, development as far as India was concerned. Because India wanted to move ahead in... Uh, quasi-socialist, quasi-capitalist fashion, and Calcutta was the epicenter of the communists. So there was a bit of a tussle between Delhi and Calcutta, and Delhi and Delhiites even today see Calcutta as a dead city, as if, you know, what's there to see in Calcutta, what's there to do in Calcutta. And the East, uh, in its rural format, there was a lot of reformation. So there is, uh, so, so prosperity in the rural parts is, uh, is great. But because this, this city ceased to, to be the funnel that the British were uh, kind of uh, taking out all the money, laundering all the money out of the country from, so the city kind of went into decline and decay. So today, it's, uh, a lot of the city's heritage actually survives because of its economic stagnation and economic decay. Otherwise, if this was moving as fast as a, as a Bombay or a Delhi or a Bangalore or one of these fancy, fast-moving cities, then a lot of our heritage would have been destroyed, just like it's been destroyed in these other cities. So it's at a very interesting juncture, you know, like if suppose uh, Calcutta kind of, uh, like suppose gets a sudden shot in the arm and people start restoring, like we've restored uh, the Calcutta bungalow, if people start restoring places and people start kind of trying to uh, generate more tourism for the city, then there is a tremendous amount of uh, uh, work and uh, restoration that can happen because of the existence of the old heritage. So a lot of the old ways of life, in spite of it being only like a 300-year-old city, the old ways of life continue, the old uh, uh, modes of transport continue. We still have the trams, which is what you call, I think, uh, streetcars. 
So we have the trams in the city still plying. Probably the the only place where trams have never stopped plying since they were started back in the 1860s. Really? Yeah. So the trams are still plying. We still have uh, ferries that take people across on the river. You still have uh, hand-pulled rickshaws, which were brought in by the Chinese initially. So these are things that uh, should have died out in a modern city. But because Calcutta has this uh, amazing uh, privilege of being 100 years in the past and a little bit in the future at the same time, it uh, survives the, all these things. What does the population look like today in Calcutta? Is it sort of an, is it an aging population? Are there... Is there sort of a fledgling, young professional uh, population coming in? Or, I mean, to begin with, we do have a huge amount of people. Some say close to 14 million people. So we do have a huge number. But the big problem is, you know, if you, you have to see Calcutta as, uh, if you see it like a pyramid of a population, then the top layers, the most uh, accomplished, the most, uh, say, wealthy, the most well-educated, so those layers, they keep moving out. So all the young people who are actually dynamic, who can do things, who can restore, like all the friends that uh, I grew up in school and college with have almost all left the city because they don't see a, a future for themselves uh, being provided by the jobs available in the city. So most of the people, they decide to move out. And that is a big problem because all the young people who can actually do something, they move out. So what we are left behind is either older people or people who think like old people. For example, someone like me, who's not so ambitious, who's all right with uh, a little business uh, uh, work. and And so people like us, we are all right in the city because we can choose our pace. We can go as fast or as slow as we like. But people who moved on, let's say, for example, I, I won't speak about people who've left the country, but people who've left to different parts of India. So if you're in a Delhi or a Bombay or a Bangalore, you can't uh, slack. You have to be very fast. You have to move with the city, move with the, with the pace of, of, the, of the lifestyle that you choose to live for yourself. But in Calcutta, you can live a very slow pace of life and still enjoy a fantastic lifestyle. So this works for people like me. But uh, the young ones who are a little more restless, who are looking for opportunities, who are looking for disruption, of course, they don't find that here. So they choose to leave. And that leaves us with uh, older people or older thinking people. So what would that shot in the arm look like for you, ideally? What would a, a Calcutta that offers enough opportunity to, you know, to hold on to some of these people maybe attract new ones while still being Calcutta? What would that look like? Well, if we had, let's say, without getting into the politics of it, if we had a government who actually appointed, like, say, a CEO of the city, then what I would think would, uh, and, and seeing it as a wholesome development, not just from the point of view of the commercial part of it. Yes, commercial part is important. But seeing, seeing it as a holistic city that offers a good quality of life, that has a great respect for its heritage, that, that appreciates uh, 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 family time, that appreciates uh, public parks, that appreciates public spending. If you take all of that into account, then, then, the, then the city needs... Uh, one, of course, it can easily become like a boutique, 
travel destination of India. You know, it can easily become uh, like landing in Delhi to see India, I think is one of the harshest things that can happen to a traveler. But if the same traveler landed through Calcutta, he would be welcomed with open arms, with a lot of uh, positivity, with a lot of uh, warmth that they will not experience the same in Delhi because Delhi is all about money, 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 money. Everyone wants to extract some money out of you. Whereas in Calcutta, money kind of just kind of takes a backseat. Like nobody, nobody really seems to be interested in making a lot of money here, except for the old rich families who are doing their own things. But uh, here, the life seems to be more about kind of making connections with people here. And a lot of it is to do with the Bengali ethos of the city, because this city is the capital of Bengal. And the Bengalis have a lot of this sorted in their heads. You know, they do want to read their newspapers in the morning. They do want a critical view of what's going on in the world. They do want their children to be more educated than rich. They do want their children to kind of uh, have a good status in life. So this is one of those places where a teacher is more appreciated than, say, uh, a banker. So these are things that, you know, that is uh, very wonderful about the city. So if if I had to keep that in mind, then I would really try to make this into a niche tourism city and also a city where a lot of disruption can happen. Uh, you know, there was an old saying that what Bengal thinks today, India thinks tomorrow. So there was this old saying because a lot of things started here. You know, the first tramways were here, the first... Uh, air conditioning was here, the first electricity uh, service of the country was here. The, so there, there were many, many things, the first mall, the first, uh, so many things that uh, happened in Calcutta first, and then the rest of India kind of played catch up. So in the same way, I think that uh, very easily Calcutta can become a city where uh, new startup ideas are nurtured, where uh, because it doesn't take much for startups to, and all the government needs to do is provide the ecosystem and get out of the way. You know, the Indian governments are sadly uh, kind of holding everything back for some strange reason. They just don't allow, like they, they will tax you, they will penalize you, they will obstruct you, they will put in all these barriers in your way. And whereas all they need to do is just get out of the way and let, let disruptors and entrepreneurs and startup guys kind of just do their thing. So that is a big problem in uh, not just Bengal, but pretty much all of India, that businesses don't get a free hand in trying to do what they want. Like, for example, I'll give you a, a small example. Like when the yellow cabs in Calcutta wanted to increase their fare from an American equivalent of, say, 30 cents to, say, 35 or 40 cents, they were not allowed by the government saying that, no, we will not allow you. But the same government allows an Uber to come in and charge whatever they want, like 150 rupees, like $2, $3, $4. You didn't allow one bunch of guys to increase their fares from 30 cents to 40 cents. But sure, you, got, you, or you allow someone else to come in and just, you know, charge whatever they want. So that is the problem with the government. Is there any sentiment of not wanting to bring in entrepreneurs, startups, et cetera, out of fear that it may really alter what Calcutta is? I think there is a little bit of that, especially because what happens is, you know, the ruling parties, they need to make their money. And they usually make their money through 
the existing businesses and the existing businesses that are here, you know, especially the legacy businesses are all my fellow brethren from Rajasthan. They are all uh, running their uh, businesses here for say like the last hundred years or last 50 years and they're all legacy businesses and, and they have their own ways of functioning and their own ways of operating. And the other ones who are kind of, uh, the gov- and the government, of course, is financially quite largely dependent on them to help them uh, run the run the city and run the state. So I guess there is a little bit of that bottleneck to to because they they wouldn't want more uh, new guys to come in and disrupt their business. So there there will be a little bit of that, but then you you have to learn to figure that out. I mean that's the that's the only way because if uh, if you don't make way for new things, if you don't make way for new uh, enterprises, then you will just kind of stagnate and die. And that is not something that can be allowed to happen to a city. The whole point of city is that it should be brimming with enterprise. It should be brimming with new ideas and new enterprises and new businesses and people trying to do the same things in different manners. And there should be like a thousand different models even like for, I've always said, even walking tours, I'm so glad now there are more than 100 outfits offering walking tours in the city, that uh, that the city deserves that, you know, the city deserves to be seen from its various angles. And everyone who starts a walking tour uh, company today will show it from a slightly different perspective. So there is a bottleneck. I There is this uh, thing, especially from the government side, especially from the legacy businesses side, but the government has to figure out a way to uh, deal with that and allow new enterprises to spring up in different parts of the city. So your ideal might be if you want institutionalized big business, if you want to be a banker, there are plenty of places in India for you to do that. But what Calcutta could be is a place where, of course, you have tourism, you have history, but you also have new ideas and, and approaches that you might not find in the sort of more buttoned up, uh, large, you know, heavily commercialized cities in India? Yeah, completely. So this could be like a laboratory of new ideas. Easily, easily. All they need to do is just, like I said, get out of the way, dedicate a space for them, give them the necessary infrastructure and give them single window clearance. This is, I think, the biggest bane of our country, the bureaucracy, the running from pillar to post to get one stupid license. And like that, you have to acquire like four, uh, 40, 50 licenses to operate any one thing. So get, give people a single window clearance, get all your government departments in, in to, to kind of communicate with each other. They don't talk to each other right now, but get them to talk to each other, get them, uh, get, give the entrepreneurs a single window clearance and give them a, 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 a small, uh, small area in the newer part of the city or in the older part of wherever you want to. In fact, uh, my idea always is that, you know, every time somebody comes to me with, uh, uh, with a proposal of kind of trying to restore a very large building, a very large old heritage, say 250 year old building, I always uh, kind of, I'm trying to pitch this to a couple of people that let's restore it and convert it into a startup hub, you know, provided all that they need is like uh, internet computers, printers, that's it. And then they can start off. So an incubator. An incubator, exactly. So a startup hub, an incubator, a laboratory, whatever the term that we can 
that can be applied to it but the idea being that you know get them single window clearance and get them to focus on their ideas so they can build something there and teach them the basics of business because uh, a lot of uh, calcutans are out of touch with the idea of business like what makes uh, an enterprise uh, tick and it's not rocket science it's very simple give the customer what they want and charge whatever you think is a fair value in exchange and it's such a simple model but so many people fail to do that and like you see restaurants kind of opening and closing in the city every other day and yet you have like a kfc or a mcdonalds that opens and does roaring business in the same locality with the same audience so what is it that they are doing right and we are doing wrong i mean if you have an incubator that can study these things it should not be that difficult to get some good uh, unicorns out of the city like within the next 10 years restoring old buildings say turning them into an incubator turning them into something else but at the end of the day keeping them alive you've lived that experience can you tell me a little bit about calcutta bungalow yeah sure so when we were taking people around walking to different parts of the city they would always say that oh we wish we could have stayed here or wish we could have seen the inside of that courtyard or the inside of that building or wish there was a cafe here so they kept kept coming up with these uh, uh these exclamations every time they would visit those places so i said you know why not let's just do it so i started looking for a place and eventually found this one place that i thought really really worked unfortunately it had uh, just like most buildings in old calcutta it had eight family members who didn't speak to each other so we had to communicate with all those eight different members and ensure that everyone was happy with the deal we were offering them and eventually it was a lengthy slow process but we eventually managed to kind of uh, pull it off and buy the place and uh, after we bought the place we uh, started uh, working on restoring it everyone was very annoyed with the with the length of time that it was taking because it took us a good solid 2 two and a half years to restore it but i said you know this is not a new building this is not a new project it's not something that we've done before so this has to be given its own uh, organic space and time to grow into something beautiful because it already has a very strong character of its own you don't want to quash that you want to retain that you want to build on top of it in order to build on something that already exists you have to first become one with the place that exists and then you can maybe try to uh, very carefully and cautiously try to mold that into a direction that is a little more modern and that also lets the building survive for another 100 years because it's a building from 1926 so it's is going to be 100 years very soon and it needs to be safe for another 100 if possible so for that we had to strengthen the building there was only one toilet in the entire structure so we had to introduce nine toilets of course because we have different rooms need to have different toilets on suites it's a, it's a relatively modern con, uh, concept but we've all become very accustomed to it and we can't expect life without having an at- attached toilet to a, to a room and so so we had to do that that was a bit of a challenge and so fresh plumbing fresh electricity uh strengthening of the structure from all possible angles because it, it has steel joists that were imported from the UK it had uh, some 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 grills that were imported from Scotland so we had to find the local replacements for those and uh, the ones that were gone and the ones that were there had to be kind of refurbished and put back in so overall a thoroughly enjoyable process i loved doing it and i'd love to do it again to another building soon and uh, 
but uh, but it's a it's a challenge and anyone who cannot see what the end result will look like who cannot see the goal in the distance will give up will be just too frustrated and they would give up but because i knew what i was looking for in the long run so it kind of just every new detail would excite me even more and that just kept on building till eventually i managed to set it up uh, get it up and going a uh, couple of years ago in the month of may may 2018 is when we started operations and we've been active for the last two and a half years are there specialists in restoration etc in calcutta did you have to bring in experts were you kind of on your own what was that experience like no i wish there was a wonderful ecosystem of restoration in calcutta but so far it does not exist unfortunately and uh, a lot of outside help has to be taken but we because of our uh, bootstrapping nature we said we are not going to go uh, looking for some fancy architect or restoration expert outside the city what we are going to do is we are going to rely on the 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 the, the masons who come with with centuries of uh, passed down uh legacy and heritage that that has been passed on to them by their parents and their grandparents and so on so we relied on the masons we relied on the workers we relied on on the on the shops that uh, that have been providing the same kind of grills and patterns for for decades we relied on all these people and and we were pleasantly surprised that they knew what they were talking about and they just kept providing us with the right solution for every problem that cropped up whereas some of the uh, restoration experts that we spoke to unfortunately seemed a little out of touch and i was surprised i was really really surprised but the masons the workers the the contractors the laborers they really put in their best foot forward and gave us uh, something amazing like for example i'll tell you the one of uh, some of the walls in the kathara bungalow have uh, I mean half the stuff that went into the mortar was actually food stuff. So like fenugreek seeds, like uh jaggery, really? like uh beetle nuts, like eggshells and god knows how many other food things they kind of put into that mixture and let it sit there and uh, rot for like 15 days. And after that seasoning was over, then they would take it up and put it up in the walls. And the result is amazing because you get this very natural uh a powdered brick tone to that whole wall and it's beautiful we love it so the expertise that you needed was already there you just needed to sort of bring it together for the purposes of restoration that's true do you just out of curiosity do you have uh, photos or pictures or anything of the build process you know of of your work renovating calcutta oh, bungalow yes of course or, oh, so, absolutely So if you'd be willing to share them with me I'd love to put them up. Oh happy to happy to. We are so proud of the process that we actually in the reception we put in the TV and the TV has all the images of what it looked before and when the when the workers were on it and what it looks after all of those kind of intermingled. That so a lot great. of people told us you know that uh, some some of these images are not so great and I'm like no it doesn't matter if the images are great or not what matters is that the process was such a beautiful process of trying to resurrect an old building that would have met the hammer but we actually saved it preserved it and now it's a sustainable building for the next 100 years i'm like there there could be nothing more beautiful than that so the quality of the pictures is irrelevant 
Have you had other people come to you and ask for help in with their own restoration projects or interested in exploring it? Or All the time. All the time. We get a lot of requests. I get called to see old buildings like almost on like a weekly basis. Every week I'm going to a different building. But unfortunately, in most cases, people are only interested in selling the building off. And what happens is they want to sell the building and yet they want top. I mean, they want to they want to preserve the building. They, they say, you know, we'd like to sell it to someone who would keep it, would not destroy it. And yet they want the top billing for their property. So I'm like, you know, you have to decide which is it that you want. You either mm-hmm. want to save the building and compromise on the cost, or you want to sell the building and extract the maximum you can from the land value. Because you can't do both. I will never be able to outbid a developer or a promoter or a builder. The builder will always outbid me because he's looking at 10 floors, 15 floors. I'm looking at only the existing structure. So it's never going to match up. So that's that's the big problem that I face. Everyone wants to uh, save the building and yet want top billing for it. But then there are some very few people who actually have the money, the interest and the old building. And they are the people who, so we have like two or three projects that we are kind of uh, going ahead talking. And uh, one of them is on the brink of being finalized. And we may be restoring another old house, uh, an art deco building in a different part of the city. And uh, let's see what we do out of that. Is the outlook in Calcutta good? Do you see there being a growing interest in doing that sort of thing? There will always be a market for uh, places and people that celebrate your history, your heritage, your because because these things are timeless. You know, they don't... Uh, they're not a fad. They don't come and go. So these things are timeless. So if you get a, a 19th century or a 20th century, early 20th century building or a, a, a cafe somewhere or a, or say a marriage hall somewhere, I mean, I still date in spite of uh, having gone to so many weddings in India, I have never seen a person getting married in modern clothing. Not one person in my entire experience, 38 years of my life of going to so many weddings and parties, have I seen a marriage taking place in a non-traditional format, in a modern format, when it comes to weddings, so when it comes to religious ceremonies, when it comes to uh, uh, family events, people always revert to uh, traditional wear and traditional, because this is a country like that, you know, this is a country that has an amazing amount of uh, history, heritage, culture, layers upon layers upon layers. So anyone who can dig a few layers and celebrate that, there will always be a market for it and it will always grow. As as more modern buildings come up, the value of Kakara Bangla goes even higher because it's one of those rare pieces that where you can experience the timelessness that you cannot experience in a modern structure. You talked about government regulations getting in the way, stifling business. Is there, is there sort of a historic preservation uh, policy or, or anything like that in Calcutta? Do you think there's a need for one? There is a need for one for sure. And there is a, we do have a heritage department in the local municipal corporation in Calcutta. But they need to be manned by people who know what heritage means and who also understand what businesses mean. 
तो इफ दे पुट वेरी आर्बिट्ररी थिंग सेइंग दैट यू नो यू कैन नॉट चेंज द फसाद ऑफ अ बिल्डिंग एट ऑल और यू कांट ऐड अ फ्लोर इन स्पाइट ऑफ कीपिंग इट इन विद द हेरिटेज वैल्यू एंड द हेरिटेज नेचर ऑफ द फसाद इंटैक्ट यू कांट ऐड अ फ्लोर इफ दे पुट वेरी स्ट्रिक्ट रिस्ट्रिक्शंस विदाउट रियली अंडरस्टैंडिंग द नीड ऑफ द बिजनेस then it becomes troublesome for businesses because then nobody like today nobody wants to get their building declared as heritage in calcutta because the moment it's declared heritage it means that you know you can't touch it you can't do anything with it you can't break it you can't rebuild it so everyone's scared of that but at the same time if if all the developers and all the promoters and all the business people the the hardcore business people are allowed to have their way then the city and it's uh, it will be shorn of all character all the streets will become soulless and characterless and they'll become like cheap copies of any other city in the world and that is something that has to a, a very good balance has to be struck in between and that is something that uh, needs a lot of planning a lot of careful execution but above all a love of the city at at the at the core and a love of uh, of the timelessness of uh, the texture of calcutta at its core and that kind of thing which i is too much to ask from uh, bureaucrats it's something that may be possible if there is a public private partnership model in which the in which the lovers the experts the the stakeholders everyone kinds of comes on board and comes up with a with a with a wonderful model that takes care of everyone's interest as much as possible and yet retains the look and feel and charm of calcutta as a as a city unlike any other do you know of cities that have taken what you feel like is the right approach have done this sort of thing successfully there is some good things happening like say in, in rajasthan in jaipur and in the whole state of rajasthan there is a whole stretch in in kerala a 12 kilometer stretch that they said the whole stretch is going to be restored back to its original glory so that again was a very promising thing because i think that was the biggest project in terms of the area that india has uh, ever witnessed so rajasthan got most of its uh, thing due to tourism due to uh, people wanting to come and stay in old havelis and old uh, mansions and therefore that drove that uh, business model and kochi in kerala is trying to do the same it's also because of tourism but it's also because of the high number of expats that uh, that uh, kerala sends out in the world and the amount of remittances they send back so kerala is bengal but with money so that becomes a very different ball game altogether and calcutta i think if it taps into the nri population the non resident uh, population who actually belong to calcutta who have a great feelings towards calcutta who have this very soft corner for the city if we can tap into that audience i think there's a there's a wealth of opportunity waiting to be explored there's a wealth of partnerships that can be created in restoring places in 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 getting people to kind of just plow back some uh, money into the city there's so many rich people around the world who have a calcutta connect so it it'll be i think it's something that the government doesn't really understand or think like one of the things that i promoted to the tourism department i said you know 
what we can do is well accomplished calcutans when they return back to calcutta what we can give them is like a lovely welcome at the airport saying that you are a son of the soil or a daughter of the soil and you've gone and done so well so we would like to extend this that every time you come to calcutta we'd like to give you a state welcome bring them over take drop them wherever they want give them the car for that uh, span of time that they are in the city give them a nice warm welcome and let them go out and be your ambassadors wherever they go in the world they'll be they'll they will not tired of speaking lovely things about the city and how they've grown up and how the city still treats them when they go back and those people will become your influencers all over the world who will get you back funds into the city who will get who will do wonderful restoration projects in the city who will finance your uh, your ambitious ideas all of that can easily happen if you just you know tap into that resource because it's a huge resource they don't understand it the amount of people that calcutta has sent out into the world and if you if you try to get them back into the city get them to work for the city they will be very happy to do that they just don't know how to do it and the government is equally clueless someone just needs to bring the two together so government officials bureaucrats what is the disconnect what is the reason that they don't understand are these predominantly people that are not from calcutta that don't know the city are there what do you think the reason for it is no i think their problem is that they are from calcutta and they've uh, not really expanded their world view i think their world views are very very limited and uh, we have in sanskrit we have a phrase we call them coop manduks or frog in a well basically saying that you are a, you are a well in a fro- you are a frog in a well and all you can think about is how big you are vis-a-vis the well and you don't realize that outside the well is a whole world out there but you've never seen that world you've never let yourself be exposed to that world but but if you if you make way and let people who know the the outside world kind of help you guide you advise you and you take their advice for what it is then i think there's a, there's a lot that can be done but if you are insecure if you are uh, if you if you've reached that government position of a job in a very uh, not so straightforward a way and you've just kind of and you're latching on to that and you're not really sure of your position there then of course you won't be going out of your way to do anything you will just you will just focus on how to keep that seat warm as long as possible so i think a lot of the problem is uh, the fact that they their world views need to be expanded like a lot of the municipal corporation people they don't come out and walk the streets so if you don't come out and walk the streets as jane jacobs uh, had said that you know you have to get out and walk so if you don't walk the streets you'll never know what are the problems of the streets and therefore you will never realize you will never develop that empathy towards the street uh, the street walkers and you'll never be able to provide a solid clean straight pavement so engagement both with the community and with kind of the world as a whole that perspective that education is that education and it sounds like to realize kind of the promise of calcutta what you need is balance you need you need that that history preserved and maintained but there's going to have to be some modernization you have to promote startups and new businesses you have to enable them and you if you can find that balance that's how you really establish calcutta absolutely 
Okay. Absolutely, because no other Indian city has managed to strike that balance beautifully. So if we can be the first, then why not? Why must we be always looking to be a cheap copy of Singapore when we can be a first-rate version of ourselves? And that's something that troubles me all the time because that's what the 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 policymakers keep referring to. This is going to be like the Singapore of India. Why would you want to be the Singapore of India? I mean, you have to be the best version of your. I mean, when Calcutta was at its peak, Singapore was uh, a bunch of fishing villages. They weren't even what they are today. So, so I think a lot of it has to be pride, a genuine pride in yourself, not just chest thumping. Chest thumping pride is what we see right now in India at its peak. But what we need is genuine pride and genuine knowledge and genuine self awareness. I mean. these guys need to start doing some yoga before peddling yoga to the rest of the world <laughs> <laughs> they need to start meditating first before telling others to meditate so there is a lot of uh, that that kind of self actualization that is missing from our country unfortunately and a lot of it was messed up under the british because they came in and they said you know whatever we say is good for you whatever you think is not good enough so that kind of went and struck a very deep chord amongst indians until now we are unsure of ourselves until now we are bending over backwards for everything that's happening in the western world and not really seeing the strengths and the and the prowess of what we already have and that i feel is a big problem that we need to overcome if we are to go anywhere near uh, realizing uh, the true potential of our city and of our country so it's about identity too kind of self realization it is you're in the tourism sector at the end of the day and you're involved in a lot of different things but for you just like for everyone the coronavirus has has been a huge disruption and I'm presuming has brought a lot of challenges but i'm sort of interested your perspective in calcutta you're talking about regulations government interventions and and policy and how they affect the city and tourism I believe in our conversations before you've talked about how people view the government approach to the coronavirus and restrictions on life etc. Can you talk a little bit about Pundals and and it sounds like there's sort of some some issues in courts right now and they're trying to That's right. trying to open them back up somewhat. Can you talk a little bit about what the the struggles are like right now in terms of people's interactions with police in the court system sure. is figuring mm-hmm. out how to deal with with covid in in calcutta our prime minister came on uh, came on national television at 8 pm in the night and declared that from 12 midnight in 4 hours the whole nation was going into a strict lockdown a lockdown that no one has ever seen or ever witnessed before and in my opinion that was a very irresponsible move because we are a nation full of migrant labor force we are a nation full of people struggling to make uh, uh, two ends meet in a day we are a nation of uh, of people who are extremely limited in our resources and you take those kind of people not the really uh, you know rich and the uh, accomplished and the ones who have their own cars and the ones who have their own kind of means to get from place to place we're not talking about those people 
we're talking about a very very and you won't do that on those people you won't do that on very accomplished people but he came and he just kind of announced that that in 4 hours everything's going to shut down so there were people walking home for like there was there was one family that walked home for like 1200 kilometers and uh, it's insane it's it's unheard of i mean this is not the sign of a, of a democracy so so this this kind of this bizarre thing went on for uh, for days for the next few uh, months and then there were there were there were places where they were being stopped and being sprayed upon uh, like they were like a bunch of uh, cattle they were being sprayed upon by the police they were being some people were made to do all kinds they were all kinds of punishments were doled out and meted out to them saying that why are you out and about you should be at home and uh, they are like yeah we are trying to get to home our home is like a thousand kilometers away we still have to walk all the way so no no bicycles no proper shoes on their feet no proper clothes no proper food and yet they are making the big journey home the big trek home some said it's like the biggest migration ever because they were like maybe like what uh 10 to 15 million people who were out there or maybe more if i'm not if i'm not calculating correctly so the whole point being that that was a very irresponsible thing to thrust upon uh, and that too was done at a time when the cases in india were a very small number today we have a great a much higher number of cases in india and everyone's moving out and about but what happened was even before the lockdown happened our economy was struggling and we were not doing very well as an economy we had come down to like 5% growth and 5% growth in gdp in india was is considered to be a very low figure we are used to at least a, uh, close to 8 or 9 or 10% growth and uh, that kind of uh, put a big uh, it just gr- brought everything to a grinding halt and then uh slowly the economy was restarted slowly things were opened and slowly everything started moving but of course the big movers in india are the festivals you know there's never a big uh, slump in the country because there's always a festival around the corner and when festivals are around the corner people are out shopping people are out buying things people are out refurbishing their homes painting their homes there's always that kind of thing happening and that's what keeps india uh taking throughout the year because there's always some festival or the other around the corner and uh, in in calcutta we have a saying we say we are the people who have baro mashe taro parbon which means in 12 months we have 13 festivals it's more like 1300 in india <laughs> but we have many many festivals so durga puja is the big festival of calcutta which is when the goddess durga is celebrated now this the eastern part of india is where Uh, the female gods are worshipped much more than the male gods i see and in the northern part of india it's much more uh, patriarchal if i may say so the eastern part of india uh, goddess uh, durga is worshipped and uh, this is supposed to be her familial home where she comes for like uh, for uh, she comes here for like uh, 10 days and then she goes back uh, into the river and through the river she goes back to the mountains to live with shiva so so she uh, goddess durga is celebrated right now and the city witnesses the largest public art event probably in the world because the, all of the state all of bengal and definitely all of calcutta every single street every single neighborhood 
is crowdfunded. They collect all this money and they make beautiful art installations. If you ever visit during this time, you will be mesmerized with the kind of drama, the kind of lighting, the wow. kind of materials used, the kind of magic that is created inside these pandals, as they are called, or installations. And these pandals are regulated right now because they are saying that, so the high court once went and said that nobody will be allowed. But there was an uproar, of course. So they said, all right, let's say we put only 35 people inside uh, the big pandals and only 15 people inside the small pandals at one time. So earlier, when everyone was uh, free-flowing, there used to be huge crowds of people outside these pandals. Right now, when they are only allowing 35 people, you can't imagine the kind of crowd that's So the problem of dealing with a crowd in India, and probably that's why the Prime Minister went all out and said, you know, just shut everything down, because you cannot handle this then. Nowhere else in the world do you have this level of congestion as you have in South Asia especially in India and more populous states like West Bengal. So if you think of Bengal, then in landmass, it's, it's not a very big area. But if you compare it in terms of population, it would have the same population of, say, like, say, say Germany. So, and which is obviously dealing it in a much larger area. The number of people in Germany are in a much larger area. So this, this kind of population density is, uh, they don't have a reference for this anywhere else in the world. So nobody knows how to handle this level of crowd. And some of our festivals can get insanely crowded. In fact, there were, there were movies made about people being lost in the festivals and you know, meeting each other again after 20 or 30 years because they were, they were, they, there, was, there was no way of uh, meeting again. And this is before the age of cell phones and internet and technology. So there were movies made on people who are actually lost in these festivals and fairs and who meet years later. And there's, of course, a lot of drama around that. But the point being that these festivals can get crazy busy. And, uh, and that is uh, unmanageable. So the, uh, but but it, it's what gets the economy going. It's what, it what gets people to go out and buy things. It's what gets people to change furniture at home, to paint their homes, to all these kind of activities, which actually make the economy move. So it's a, it's a catch-22 situation. Like you've got this pandemic on one hand, but you do want the economy to move because you are a nation of very poor people who are, are starving and they need food and they need shelter and they need clothing. And yet you have this festival which can provide you all of that. But if as a government you don't take action against this in the, in the, in the pandemic times and the numbers surge post-festival, then you will be getting all the blame for it. And the elections are in April in Bengal. So, of course, if you, like, this is a very, like, you don't want to be the leader of the state at this point of time. Right. Because right now, whatever you do, and one wrong step, and you will have to pay in April, which is like like six months away. So you have to be ready for that big uh, payment. Since the lockdown, has there been a loosening on either a national scale or or in individual cities? So what happened was, I think for two months, we had like a very strict lockdown. And since then, slowly things have started opening up. So first they opened up, say, religious places of worship. Then they opened up uh, places of, uh, of like, like public, public places they opened, like malls. And then they opened up, I think recently, they uh, then they opened uh, gymnasiums and parks and all those kind of things. So now most things are 
open from the government side but people are so scared that some of them are not opening from their side like like the like tourism places like you can't go to monuments and museums they are still closed so people are scared of opening up yet the government is trying to promote tourism trying to tell people go out and see things and so so it's a like i said it's a it's a very difficult juggle and the government has no clue what to do they don't know how to stop the virus they don't know how to contr- control the pandemic they have no idea so they are trying to deal with all of this in as i mean they essentially image management is what's going on they like they want to show that they are in charge but nobody is in charge right now because you don't know how this is going to pan out especially with europe going into their second phase of lockdown and the second wave of uh, the pandemic have you had to have you been able to adapt your own business whether it be the bungalow or calcutta walks to what i'm assuming is a, a drop in in tourism activity and interest in calcutta have you been able to do that <laughs> what happened was for uh, so we had our best month since existence in the month of february in february we bis- did the best numbers for the walks as well as for the bungalow and i was gung ho i was like wow this is fabulous if this continues we are going to restore 10 more buildings in calcutta and then came march and mm. mid march uh, around the end of march was this declaration and the, and the stopping and all that that happened so april we sat on zero revenue may june july august till august so those all those five months we were sitting on zero revenue but thankfully i didn't let any of my staff go i was like you know let's just kind of pay you 50% of your regular but let's let's stay in the thing and see how this pans out nobody knows maybe there'll be a repressed demand and you know things will start picking up since september we've had some business thankfully especially at the bungalow because uh, that is not so much about being out and about it's about being in a safe secluded space mm. and if they know that they are taking precautions these people then they don't mind kind of coming and staying so at the bungalow we've had some uh, nowhere close to pre pandemic levels of course but uh, there has been some movement in the bungalow uh, space in the walk space there's like we've done like three walks since the pandemic and we are used to doing like at least 120 walks a month so the walk space i think will take much longer to recover and the bungalow space is slowly recovering which is a good thing so i think by the time the demand comes back to normal i think it will be at least end of next year end of next year for sure for sure tourism is badly hit you can't imagine what must be going through the lives of people who have emis to pay who have rents to pay who have like hundreds of people on their payroll you can't imagine what their lives are right now do you see the bungalow as sort of a lifeline during that time or are there other are there other options that would allow you to kind of weather that or do you think you'll be able to make it through make it through we will because of uh, because i'm just in a very comfortable place in life and but most people don't have that luxury i don't have big emis to pay i don't have big uh, bills to pay i don't have very expensive stuff on my payroll i don't have uh, you know like like 20 vehicles standing there where banks are asking for the for the loan amounts to be paid so i don't have that so i'm in a very comfortable place so for me to sit for a year is all right i will survive i will not make money i will not travel i will not do the usual splurging of things 
but I will survive. But most people are not in my state. Most people are in a state where they are kind of uh, uh, tight from various places, and they need to they need to provide for a lot of things. And uh, for them to survive, I feel I my heart goes out to the industry that they are going to have a very tough time making it through. Well, I'm glad to hear that. At least it sounds like you have a way to make it through all this. Thank you again for taking the time my pleasure to, to speak Thank with you, me Noah. and have a great night. It's already pretty late for you. So I'm sorry to keep you up. <laughs> Not at all. Well, thank you again. Have a good night. Pleasure, dear. Pleasure. See you. Good night.